May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the first episode of the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz, a pediatrician and an internal medicine doctor, a doctor that cares for adults. I'm also a lifestyle medicine doctor, as well as a clinical lipidologist. I also am the author of Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions to Real Pain. Join me on this bold journey as you go beyond just learning to live with to conquering your fibromyalgia. Do you have fibromyalgia? Do you have a loved one with fibromyalgia? Are you a physician who wants to up your game when it comes to caring for fibromyalgia patients? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this podcast is for you. For too long, fibromyalgia patients have suffered. My hope just like in the book, is to inform, inspire, and equip those with fibromyalgia. You will hear evidence-based discussion on this complex and challenging issues involved with conquering your fibromyalgia. I plan to share easy-to-understand explanations for what you have had to endure. At a minimum, you will feel validated for what you have had to endure. You will feel there is a doctor who cares about what you are going through. You are not alone. I've been a doctor for over 25 years. I help those with fibromyalgia make sense of this frustrating and misunderstood medical problem that leaves many in despair. I want to give a physician's perspective and experience in treating those with fibromyalgia. Just want to give you a little bit of my background for those of you who don't know me, which I expect is probably most of you who are listening. I wanted to become a doctor going back to middle school. I enjoyed science and really liked helping people, and I thought this would be a great opportunity for me. At the end of high school, I applied to an early acceptance program called the Target MD program that was at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and was fortunate enough to get accepted. After three years there, I went to the Medical College of Wisconsin and was able to graduate there with Alpha Omega Honor Society membership. After my third year of medical school, as with all other medical students, we have to decide what are we going to specialize in? What kind of doctor are we going to be? There are so many things to pick from. I liked all types of things. Every rotation I was on, I found very interesting, but narrowed down to I didn't want to do surgery. I thought it was interesting, but not something that was compelled to do. Then there were different options, primary care, specialty care, I thought of family medicine and was leaning towards that until I found out about a combined program where you can become a pediatrician and an internist, and I thought that was fascinating. I like taking care of kids, and I love taking care of adults, and there was always the potential to specialize after that, although I didn't have one specific organ system of the body that I was interested in. I liked mental health issues. I liked healing people who had skin disorders and 
helping prevent heart attacks. So going into the internal medicine and pediatrics sounded like a great idea. It also gave me much more in-depth training and the potential for specializing beyond my first four years. And family practice at the time involved a lot of obstetric care, which I wasn't especially interested in. I interviewed and was accepted to the Virginia Commonwealth University's medical residency in Richmond, Virginia. This is where I spent the following four years and thoroughly enjoyed my training there and also loved living in Virginia. If you've never been to Virginia, it's a great place to see the Richmond area. It's about half the size of Milwaukee. It's got some urban. You can go up to D.C. an hour and a half away. You're an hour and a half away to the ocean and the beach at Virginia Beach, and then an hour and a half to the Shenandoah National Park with great hiking. In fact, my wife and I got engaged on the White Oak Canyon Trail. It was just beautiful. Loved it there. But returned back to Wisconsin, where all my family was. I always say if I was an orphan, I probably would have stayed in Virginia at the time. I loved it so much, but I was really wanting to be close to the family. I was married at the end of my third year, and after our fourth year there and graduated, decided to come back to Wisconsin. I loved medicine. Medicine's so exciting. There's always new things uh, to learn. I had a mentor who, when I was in my pre-medical training, said that half of what you learn will change every seven years, which really baffled me. I said, how can so much change. It's just crazy. It's just like if you learn calculus and then seven years later, half of calculus changed. What he really meant is our understanding of a medical problem will change and also how we treat it will change, how we diagnose it will change, how we manage it. And that really is evident with so many medical problems. Definitely fibromyalgia falls into that group. He also said, you're going to learn so much from your patients which at the time I was kind of laughing as if you're going to walk into a room and ask the patient to explain what they have wrong with them and explain the medical problems and the explanation and how to treat them. Now, sometimes that does happen. I'll have a rare medical problem I have no experience with, but the patient has had and has been seen by many specialists, and that may happen. But for the most part, it's learning from the different patient experiences and telling their story to help understand what's going on with them. And then using that data to help learn and help treat other patients. And this is really evident in my experience with fibromyalgia. I'll admit, when I graduated medical school in the year 2000, I didn't have a lot of experience in managing fibromyalgia. In fact, I've never even heard of grand rounds on fibromyalgia. Didn't know what that was. Grand rounds, if you're not familiar, is a once a week expert talk on some clinically relevant topic that kind of transcends most of the medical specialties. And fibromyalgia definitely is one that transcends and touches every medical specialty, although didn't get the attention. Part of that was we just didn't know a lot about it, but there was the word fibromyalgia, and it was just starting to be more and more research being done, and a lot new technology was being used to help understand it, which I'll share more 
and in future podcasts as well, and just such an exciting field for this mysterious problem. One area that has changed and really affected me, and not directly related related to fibromyalgia, but just sharing a personal story, I, at the age of 33, found out through advanced lipid testing that I was at high risk during my lifetime of developing a heart attack or stroke if I didn't make any changes or any intervention. Lipidology is the cholesterol, study of uh, cholesterol and related issues, and that's so important because the number one killer of men and women in the Western world are cardiovascular diseases of the heart, strokes, heart attacks, bypass surgery, and all of that. And through advanced testing, I found I was at risk, but also that there was treatment for this. At the same time, after about a few years of being treated with a statin and with a medicine called Niospan, there was two things that happened that really made a big impact on my life. The there were two studies that came out that showed niacin, or which is a special uh, prescription form of niacin, when added to a statin, didn't reverse or reduce risk of heart attacks compared to the statin alone. Now, this was really disappointing because there were some small early studies that suggested that there would be a significant difference. What did that leave us with? Well, you can maybe reduce your risk of a heart attack in half, but you don't necessarily reverse it, and there's still what we call residual risk. People would be taking a statin, might be on a blood pressure medicine, but they were still having heart attacks. Not everybody was being prevented, although it did a lot of great things. Shortly after that, my wife, who's a registered dietitian and has the and is working now in teaching people how to eat a whole food plant-based diet and has a website, Bring Joy to Your Kitchen, she was doing continuing education and came across the book called um, The China Study. China Study is by T. Colin Campbell, and it's a study, or it's a book about the study where they did epidemiological research, observational studies looking at dietary uh, intake in certain counties or uh, small states within China and correlated that with rates of disease in that area. It was profound because it showed that those who were eating a traditional plant-based diet had very low rates of cardiovascular disease and many cancers. This made me really consider what could be done in my own life as well as my patients. I did more research and investigated this looking at diabetes and Dr. Neil Barnard's research for reversing diabetes. I looked at research when it comes to Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn for looking at reversing heart disease and the evidence was very strong. So I adopted that myself. And around the year 2009, at the end of the year, I watched Forks Over Knives. And if you've never watched that, it's a great documentary if you're just getting into and want to be somewhat inspired and also in a somewhat entertaining way because it shares case stories of people who had profound improvement by eating a whole food plant-based diet. After watching that, I thought that it's time to go and do this 100%. I switched to a whole food plant-based diet, and I thought, if I can't do this, I'd be a hypocrite to tell any of my patients that, hey, you should do this. And meanwhile, I'm eating hamburgers and, and a bunch of just junk. Well, I did it. Enjoy it. I've benefited greatly from it and just have a passion for helping 
people be the healthiest version of themselves by both diet and exercise. Now, what does that have to do with fibromyalgia? Well, diet has a strong impact on how we feel and on fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia-related symptoms. Now, for many people who have fibromyalgia, it may be surprising to, um, to you, but you eat less healthy than the average American. The average American eats about one fruit or vegetable a day, and the average person with fibromyalgia eats about three to four a week. Now, one a day isn't enough, but three to four a week is even worse. Now, some of you may be doing better, and that's great, and that's awesome. And we're going to talk more about how to do that and talk more about diet in the future. Another thing is exercise. Exercise is so important, but also done often incorrectly for many people who have fibromyalgia. One of the things that I share with many people who have fibromyalgia is I love to exercise. Now, how does that shared with people who have fibromyalgia? Right now, many of you may be in a state of such moderate to severe to extreme levels of fibromyalgia that exercise has a paradoxical effect where you do so much and you hurt so much more. And then you have to rest and you go on this roller coaster of ups and downs and it's very, very frustrating. Well, what I share is I don't have fibromyalgia, but what I share is a passion for exercise. And it's an extremely rare patient who has fibromyalgia who wasn't very active, usually even more active than the average person when they were at an earlier stage in their life. Now, this could depend at what point earlier means. This usually is at least in childhood. Now, this may have gone away in middle school if they didn't make a team or stop playing sports or high school, or maybe they were a Division I athlete and they were working out three to four hours a day pursuing excellence in their given sport, but eventually they hit the real world and are just working out for maybe a half hour, an hour, or an hour a day, which still is a lot for the average person, but for somebody with fibromyalgia often isn't sufficient enough and really can lead to struggling. There's so much more to cover in future episodes. We'll talk with guests as they share their wisdom on dealing with fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia-related problems. For too long, fibromyalgia has been stigmatized and not given the best care and treatment. And hopefully this will be one small step forward in that direction. So join me on this bold journey as you go from just living with to conquering your fibromyalgia. Please hit the subscribe button and share with others. And please also leave a review wherever you are listening to this. This will help spread the word of how others can conquer and work to live better with their fibromyalgia. The information and opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and those of my guests and are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to substitute for the advice of your own personal physician or coach. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor, so please keep that in mind and please continue to join us as we learn about conquering your fibromyalgia.